This is Dan DeMarco, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Bart Peterson, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Greg Gilchrist, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'm back again for another episode of my month of 1,000 podcast celebration. Today, I'm thrilled to have back with me Jonathan Marks. Jonathan is a partner at Baker & Tilly, and he is going to visit with us about what he has seen in the way of developments over the past five years in investigations and specifically forensic accounting investigations. So, Jonathan, uh, thanks again for uh, taking the time to visit with me. Thanks, Tom. I really appreciate you having me. And, um, you know, the topic is certainly very interesting in that, um, you know, forensic accounting, most people don't know this, but uh, forensic accounting is relatively new. Um, it, it goes back, um, I believe, to the 1800s, and I think it was more formalized in the 1940s and the 1950s. But, you know, the job of being a forensic accountant is, is relatively new. And so, you know, looking back five years, sort of, uh, you know, where we were five years ago and then kind of pulling that forward and then looking ahead um, is certainly something interesting to talk about. You know, five years ago, from a forensic accounting perspective, you know, it was basically, you know, from a skills perspective, we were looking for people that had auditing skills, you know, certainly and investigative skills, you know, to examine certain information and so on and so forth in preparation for a court of law. You know, that's sort of been the moniker of a forensic accountant. And as you well know, you know, with the uptick in global bribery and with the uptick and more sensitivity related around compliance, that role is really expanded. And so, you know, where once was, you know, somebody, somebody was looking for someone to examine records and fact find and pull things together, which was certainly important. Um, you know, today, uh, even more so if we, if we pull that all the way forward, it's not only the auditing skills, it's not only, you know, the financial skills. It's the understanding of human behavior. It's the understanding of uh, technology and and uh, and electronically stored information. You know, it's the understanding of um, not only completing the investigation, but finding the root cause as to why that, you know, that particular situation took place. It's really understanding more from a granular perspective, internal controls. Um, and, you know, so when we look back five years ago and then we look and we, and we bring it forward to today, there really have been some remarkable advancements, you know, you know, from a technology perspective in the form of, you know, really utilizing, um, you know, data analytics and the like, but more importantly, from a skill set perspective, um, you know, I, I see today and when I'm looking at folks today, and we're talking about forensic accountants, I don't just see someone who is there to rip through books and records, you know, put something together, and then, you know, be prepared to go uh, potentially testify in a court of law. You know, I see a forensic accountant today as some, uh, you know, as a professional that's a lot more valuable in that they can, the value add that they can bring from not only from um, a controls perspective, but from a compliance perspective, um, from an operational perspective and so on and so forth, um, is really what the expectation is. So, 
um, you know, thanks to, you know, uh, regulatory changes, uh, thanks to, um, you know, the expansion of, uh, of, of, of business to a more global platform has really, really upped the game of the forensic accountant. So let me uh, f- kind of flip the question a little bit, Jonathan, because you answered it in terms of uh, the forensic accounting part of investigation. But now let me ask you uh, from the perspective of f- forensic accountant, what have you seen evolve in terms of an anti-corruption investigation where a lawyer may hire you? You specifically talked about understanding human nature, the technology, and the root cause. Are these things that lawyers who retained you some five or plus years ago would have asked you to, to do, or did they even understand what they were? And how have you been able to educate you know, people like me, lawyer types, on these issues from your perspective? Tom, they didn't even ask the question five years ago, but today it's sort of an expectation, and that's a great point. You know, um, root cause wasn't even in the conversation. It wasn't even in the work plan. Um, When it comes to human nature and really understanding, you know, how these potential bribery schemes can be concealed, nobody asked whether, you know, they were less concerned about, um, they were less concerned about your ability to really um, understand and digest those schemes from a humanistic perspective or from a psychological perspective, but more so to, um, you know, just rip through the books and records and follow the money. And, um, you know, that's really where it has changed. And that's really what the expectation is today. So one of the things that's intrigued me, Jonathan, is how uh, what may have started out as a, either a response to a legal requirement i.e. the FCPA, or a company investigating, hiring someone like you to investigate uh, a potential fraud and loss of money, bleeding out of money within the organization, has really now moved to what you characterized as, as the root cause. And by requiring a root cause analysis, it occurs to me that a company can not, not only remediate the situation, but actually create a stronger business process. Have you seen that uh, as well? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, um, you know, recidivistic behavior is something that nobody ever wants to talk about. Um, and for for those that don't understand what recidivism is, you know, it's 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 an ugly word that basically means, you know, it happened again. It's it's a repeat. And, you know, I think a lot of a lot of times what would happen is, you know, we would complete an investigation and we would pack our bags and go home. Um you know, and sometimes the, the recommendations that we would make were more on the symptoms rather than the root cause. So, you know, um, root cause has really, really changed the nature of the game. But I think it's also an expectation of the regulators today is that, you know, when somebody completes an investigation and they're going through and uh, remediating, remediating gaps and deficiencies and looking at internal controls, you know, they expect someone, you know, like us, like me, like, you know, the legal team and us you know, to really identify what those root cause issues are and really make sure that, um, you know, whether it's, you know, further disciplinary action, whether it's further training, you know, whether it's the revamp of, you know, uh, different control structures, whether it's, you know, designing controls in a way where, um, you know, uh, different objectives have to be met, um, you know, certain, you know, certain approvals, you know, using automation and technology as a weapon in this as well. Um, you know, those are all things that are coming into play today. 
So one of the uh, things that struck me, Jonathan, is that um, the ACFE and uh, others have consistently talked about red flags around fraud. Uh, indicia for fraud, part of that's the fraud triangle, part of it's the fraud pentagon. But what uh, red flags or other evidence might pop up to indicate that fraud uh, might be occurring. And those have, uh, some of those factors are on individuals. And in the anti-compliance anti -com uh, anti world, we really haven't focused on those behavioral factors uh, that might lead to a further investigation. Uh, do you see uh, that evolving as well? Or, or are you, people like yourself, really having to have some very basic conversations with uh, the people that hire you from the legal perspective about um, the red flags around fraud and how they might apply to anti-corruption compliance? No, I think that's a great question. And, you know, what, what, you know, when, when the, you know, everybody talks about the fraud triangle and the fraud Pentagon these days, which is great. But if you look at, you know, if you look at the fraud triangle, for example, you know, pressure, opportunity and rationalization, and you expand it to the fraud Pentagon, which includes competence and arrogance, you know, those those behavioral elements are kind of interesting. Um, when you blow that out into more of the meta model of fraud and you look at sort of the crime, the act concealment and the conversion piece, um, you know, I think that's where everyone was really focused on. You know, they were focused on, you know, what, what the act was, how it was concealed and how it was converted. Um, so when, when we're, when we're actually coming back and we're pulling everything together, um, today, uh, and by the way, I caution everyone, you know, I'm not a licensed psychologist and I'm not certified, you know, in psychology or sociology or anything, but, you know, with 30 plus years of experience, we know what behaviors, you know, tend to be there. So focusing on the human element and really understanding that and looking at the potential bad actor or bad actors you know, I think we go back and really take a good holistic view and say, you know, what, you know, look at the pressure, look at the, you know, look at the, look at the pressures placed on that, that individual, look at competence, look at arrogance, look at rationalization, really look at those things, understand how that behavior manifested itself. And again, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a doctor or a PhD in, in sociology, but I do understand human behavior when it comes to, you know, potentially committing a fraudulent act. And so I think that expectation today is really there. Um, and it should be interesting because, you know, there were some recent court cases where some, um, you know, a forensic accountants kind of tried to get into the mind behind, you know, um, the individual. And, you know, the courts have really uh, hammered those folks for trying to do that. However, you know, I do think from, uh, a practical perspective and really from, uh, you know, an expectation perspective, really understanding those individuals that are potentially playing in this. And then again, looking and drilling down and saying, you know, you know, is this a bad apple? You know, did this bad apple create a bad bunch? Is there a bad crop of people? For example, you know, you can have a manager, you know, that's in one country that, you know, um, you know, is, is potentially doing something that's, that's not legal. And for some reason, um, you know, he's punished and that's fine, but then he gets promoted or he moves on to, you know, another part of the globe and another part of the operation. And what we have seen is that that behave those behaviors are just latent. They come out at some point, especially when there's, you know, when there's an opportunity to certainly do that. And, you know, so they, they take and pollinate, you know, those individuals that, um, you know, are susceptible to being sucked into this. 
and then continue that bad behavior throughout the organization. And that's why, you know, again, when it comes to, you know, what's the role of the forensic counter, the investigator today, it's really, really important to look at those behaviors um, and really understand them. It's really important to understand, you know, um, you know, how they manifested themselves, where this individual came, you know, who they interacted with, you know, are other are there other red flags around there? Um, you know, you know, we all love to talk about red flags and, um, you know, a lot of those, a lot of those things are certainly hidden in plain sight. But, um, you know, I think one of the things that this really brings out and we haven't really gone there yet is really the disciplinary, um, aspect of all this. And, um, you know, I've been asked more and more over my career, you know, what do you recommend from a disciplinary perspective? That really never happened before. That was really left up to, um, you know, the company to make a determination and, you know, certainly the, the lawyers and, and, and the like, but, um, you know, I've been roped into conversations, you know, um, over the past years on, you know, what, what's our opinion with regards to this? Do we believe that, you know, we've seen enough of this, that potentially this person can't be trained or retrained or, um, or that, that they might in, 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 in effect pollinate others, you know, and, and, and suck them into these bad behaviors. So that's a big, big change from, um, you know, four or five, six years ago to today. And I see that continuing going forward. So one of the things I've heard you talk about, Jonathan, is uh, interview skills, interview techniques, uh, sitting across from uh, either the fraudster, the recalcitrant employer, or someone else you're interviewing, and really focusing on them to try to make a determination if uh, they are telling you the truth. Uh, that is not a conversation I typically hear from forensic auditors. They're generally much more focused on following the money, the books and records, perhaps the internal controls. Is that also an evolution you have seen? Yeah, and it's one that, I, I mean, I think we all try as professionals to, you know, throw ourselves out there as human lie detectors. And, you know, some are certainly better than others. But I think, you know, through experience and certainly, you know, some skills and some some training, I think we've, we've all become very sensitized to that. And there's sort of an expectation of that. Um, you know, uh, you got to remember, um, fraud is not about obstruction. It's about deflection, distraction. Um, you know, it's a game. You know, white collar criminals or fraudsters profile us just like we're trying to profile them. So a very, very skilled fraudster is in an interview is sometimes very, very difficult to trick up. Now, there are tools and techniques and certainly, you know, various trainings that go on that certainly help us in that regard. But, um, you know, interviewing is, is, is definitely something that, um, you know, you, you, you do get better with it over time. You know, I, I've interviewed a, a ton of people. You know, it's certainly in my career, um, I would never, ever classify myself, you know, even though I think I'm very good at it as someone who is, you know, a human lie detector. But, um, you know, I think, you know, um, we always say, you know, the evidence is grounded in the facts. And, you know, if you really do understand the facts and you can go into an interview um, and, and have those facts, it's, it's, some, it's a lot easier. Um, there are a lot of folks that have a different approach that like to get in an interview early and sometimes, let's just face it, the facts sort of develop over time. They're not always readily available. And so, you know, taking a first crack at someone and basically coming back at them later, you know, is certainly an option. And um, but um, it's a it's a 
that's a very, very interesting area. And um, it, it would, it's going to be very interesting to see where it actually heads in the future. But, um, you know, I, I always, you know, I always temper my conversations with, you know, folks that I'm dealing with that, that, you know, look, we're not human lie detectors. We're not, you know, we're not, you know, we're not perfect creatures. You know, we're not necessarily, um, um, experts in human behavior, but, uh, we do try to, you know, uh, take, uh, all those things into consideration from what we learned over the years and apply those in a way where, you know, certainly could benefit us from, you know, um, you know, truth seeking, you know, um, uh, type of statements from, um, you know, from, from the alleged fraudster, but, um, definitely an interesting topic. So Jonathan, um, I've talked about, or we've visited rather about the change in expectations, uh, for the investigation of a forensic auditor. We've talked about the changes that the legal function uh, has seen in working with someone like yourself. How about at the board of directors level? Because you've been hired by several boards. Have their uh, expectations either changed or have boards matured in their understanding of their role in corporate governance? Yeah, you know, I think that's that's a that's a great that's a really, really great and insightful question and, and something certainly that's I'm very passionate about. You know, boards are becoming more attuned to, you know, what they're looking for. You know, um, they just don't want someone to come in there and rip through things. They want someone to come in there. You know, they want a forensic accountant and investigator to come in there that do understand uh, corporate governance, that do understand compliance, that do understand the legal function, that understand the audit, that understands risk management. So, yes, their expectations have changed. And if they haven't, if they haven't, they should. You know, one trick ponies are just not the norm anymore. Um you know, boards are looking to get to the right answer as well. And they don't like recidivistic behavior and they don't want recidivistic behavior. So they want to know, you know, um, where things broke down. You, you and I have talked about this ad nauseum. You know, when we look at today, we look at the legal function, the compliance function and internal audit. You know, those three functions within a company or in an organization that are not operating, um, it, you know, harmonious in, in, a, in, in a harmonious manner, you know, could be disastrous. And we call it the Bermuda Triangle. Um, you know, I think boards are becoming more, um, insightful with regard to that. Um, they, un they're starting to understand the components of corporate governance and how those pieces all come together, you know, from a communication perspective, from the way committees are set up, from the way they're, um, employing risk management and global risk management from within the organization. They are actually, um, better educated today, you know, thanks to, um, you know, obviously, you know, thanks to the, um, you know, the bad behavior of others, which have sort of, sort of up their game as well. But, you know, there are, you know, a bunch of organizations out there have really tried, you know, to, you know, to put this stuff, you know, right out in front of them and, and, and really get them to pivot, you know, in a way where they, you know, are not just asking for answers regarding to an investigation. They really want to understand the 360 here and they really want to, you know, make sure that somebody coming in does have experience, you know, related to not only the regulatory issues and dealing with the regulators, but, you know, helping them from a governance perspective. And really the last group I'd like to ask about, Jonathan, is the one you just mentioned, the regulators. Uh, you've sat across the table from a wide variety of regulators um, and have their expectations changed for someone like yourself, uh, an investigator uh, around for forensic accounting? Well, I, I, again, yes. I mean, you know, um, 
you know, if you look at if you look at subpoenas or things that come from the SEC, they're asking for board minutes, and you know they, they've asked for these things for years. But I think you know their understanding today, and and, and really what they're driving at is they want to understand that um, you know that the organization is not only looking at you know potentially ring fencing in the the bad behavior, but you know why that behavior occurred. You know, root cause you know is now front and center, and it should be, and for good reason. And so you know. I, you know, my conversations with, you know, folks on the regulatory side have not only been from, you know, from, uh, hey, you know, look, this is what we found. Here's the, these are the accounting issues, you know, um, but um, also more from an internal control, you know, from a tone perspective um, and certainly from uh, from a governance perspective. And, um, you know, so, again, this one dimensional type of or multidimensional type of exercise that once existed, which was called an investigation, I think has really manifested itself into sort of this multidimensional expectation um, and exercise that, um, you know, has really become um, really become the norm. And, and I see it going forward in the future. Well, Jonathan, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but this has been a fascinating exploration of, of a topic that really expanded out in a variety of ways. So uh, thank you again for taking the time to visit with me today. Well, thanks for having me, Tom. You know, I always like talking about this stuff. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. I hope you'll join me next week when I am back with another guest. The FCPA Compliance Report is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.